Now, as we know, British Columbia on Tuesday began a, a three-year pilot program to stop prosecuting people for carrying small amounts of heroin, meth, ecstasy, crack, cocaine, two and a half grams or less, uh, in an effort to, to fight a drug overdose crisis. Now, BC accounts, get this, for about a third of the 32,000 deaths uh, due to overdose uh, in Canada. Uh, and that's uh, and that, of course, uh, has been since 2016. That's the same year this province um, declared a public health emergency. Of course, this is about destigmatization. We have been told in this week, We've had, look, Jennifer Whiteside on this program, the Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. We've had Fiona Wilson, the Deputy Police Chief from the Vancouver Police Department. Kevin Falcon, uh, the leader of the BC Liberal Party, uh, introduces $1.5 billion plan. Our next guess is the entire policy of decriminalization is a waste of time. Ian Mulgrew is a columnist of the Vancouver Sun. I highly recommend you check out his column in Today's Sun. Uh, he lays out a very good case, uh, challenging some of the assertions made uh, by many uh, when it comes to this issue. And he joins us now. Ian, thank you uh, for speaking to us today. Oh, happy to join you, Jazz. All right. First of all, uh, in your mind, why is this a waste of time? Um, Because it doesn't do anything to address the real problem. It makes users feel a little safer, perhaps, but it doesn't address the adulterated drug supply or the issues of homelessness and the lack of treatment and support services for this group of people. So so why do you think, in your mind, because you've covered the courts for a long time, you've covered, uh, you know, police, you've been in and around this issue for literally decades, and you tell me, how did we end up down this road then? Um, well, decriminalization sounds like you're doing something. And the politicians in this province are desperate to look like they're actually addressing the issue when they're not. Um, We had this discussion when the marijuana issue was in front of uh, people. And at that time, everyone said no to decriminalization for exactly the same reasons. It didn't do anything to address the gangs and the violence. It didn't do anything to protect our kids, and it really doesn't do anything at all. Uh, in regards to the um, the issue of decriminalization, it, it, your opinion is that we should be heading in the other direction, which is more treatment centers, greater focus on education, greater focus on housing. Is, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. I mean, we haven't put anyone in jail, and yet we've driven down the number of people smoking tobacco. Uh, I spoke to Fiona Wilson, as I said, uh, the other day, and she was telling us, I think it was three arrests they've made uh, in regards to uh, personal use of hard drugs uh, last year. And she says prior to that, um, to my recollection, it was about, on average about five arrests uh, a year. Uh, in your mind, uh, the police have already decriminalized through their actions. It's not like they're just doing it. This is after a broader conversation. We've actually been living under decriminalization, haven't we, over the much longer period beyond just what transpired on Tuesday? Well, what we've seen, Jazz, is that the police charging people in encampments for passing each other less than a gram of, of uh, substances. So they have just moved to... Doing un- the Victoria police were doing undercover operations against women 
who couldn't afford rent, who were living in a tent, and one of them would get, go and buy some uh, what they thought was uh, heroin. It was about 0.02% of a gram of heroin. Most of it was caffeine, a bit of fentanyl. And they charged them with trafficking. We saw the same thing up in Kamloops. And I would ask the police, let's have a look at your trafficking charges. Because let's remember here, the Vancouver police took a million dollars a year out of the fentanyl tax for the evidence storage unit in the downtown east side. Do you like what they're doing in Alberta as a solution to this? Uh, No, I don't. Why? Well, I I think that uh, what we need is both uh, some compassion as well as a huge investment in treatment and um, uh, support services. We haven't increased welfare in, in I don't know how long. $900 roughly with $375 for your shelter allowance. You can't feed yourself on $900 a month in this town, much less rent an apartment. We've got people living in squalor. All of this needs to be changed. And if we've got money to send six cabinet ministers to Ottawa for a, a, you know, a gab fest, surely we can start to house people properly. Because no one's getting off drugs without a place to live and without some support. And we face a different problem than Alberta. That's really my, my concern. And I really think we've got to realize that the drug market is now a regulated pharmaceutical drug market it's no longer sort of illicit drugs cooked up by people in foreign countries and smuggled into the country it's tylenol threes fentanyl you can buy fentanyl in the pharmacy and they prescribe it for pain all of these drugs are partly on the street because our doctors have started cutting off people from narcotic pain pills And if you have chronic pain or you're waiting for a knee operation, and let's face it, Jazz, wait lists in this province are now two years, three years long. Mm -hmm. You need pain pain relief. And for the doctors to be cutting these people off and driving them to the street where they're getting, you know, drugs that are contaminated and they are risking their lives. On top of that, our kids, our teenage kids who, let's face it, Lots of them are experimenting. They're now rolling the dice with their life. That was not always the case. We're also seeing people like, you know, our, our Jason Blotchford, our sports reporter, for instance, his wife was on television and doing the media rounds last week, yep. telling people about her husband, you know, dying. He was a recreational user, and um, he died. And uh, she talked about the shame and how it took her a year to get over that. It's time to really change our attitudes. These laws are racist. They were brought in. The the anti-opioid law, the um, um, anti-heroin law, they were brought in to to try and force Chinese people out of the country. When we passed our anti-marijuana law, it was the same. We wanted to keep out Mexicans and black people. There's no health reasons for these laws, and everybody who has ever looked at this issue agrees that criminalization is the wrong way to go. Even Dr. Bonnie Henry says that. 
the we've often talked about other jurisdictions. Uh, Portland, Oregon are two examples. Now, I had friends go down to Oregon uh, not too long ago uh, with their kids uh, for a basketball game, hoping to stay there a couple of nights, and they came back after one night just because of the, the, the homeless challenge that's there, the squalor that is there, and I've heard from others who have gone down as well. And Portland's not the only city. Seattle's dealing with it. L.A. is dealing with it all along the coast. All our major cities are. Do you like any of the systems where they have decriminalized drugs? I use Oregon and Portugal as an example. But one would argue even in Portugal, the the programs they offer on top of the decriminalization are quite significant that we don't do that here in British Columbia. No, we don't. Um, but por- Portugal is also a bad model because it's very coercive. And let's face it, Portugal is a small country and was one of the last European countries to abandon fascism. Portugal is a different culture. It's a different, it's a homogenous country by and large. And um, it works there for them. It certainly isn't going to work in a, a province as diverse and, and um, as, as committed to civil liberties as British Columbia. As for the American cities of Portland, Seattle, and, and, and uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, they're very different from the Canadian experience. Um, but quite frankly, they've been destroyed by progressives who haven't wanted to grapple with these issues and hold people accountable. So people it, do have to be held accountable. So, I mean, so explain to me what a perfect system in your world looks like. You've talked about that this decriminalization doesn't work. Where do the police? Where, when it comes to the, when it comes to the four pillars, where do the police in your mind fit in in all of this? Where does the treatment fall in in all of this? And where does the compassion fall in within your plan? What would you see done if you could wave a wand? Um, I would immediately. Um, eliminate the criminal laws um, on uh, these drugs, and I would uh, regulate them all. They're really regulated anyway right now. And I would have the doctors being told that their job is to help people, not send them to the street where they are prey for gangsters. I think the police should be focusing on closing down the gangs and not chasing after people who are in a health crisis. I would then uh, um, point out that, you know, the police talk a good game about harm reduction, but they have been against it from the moment Mayor Philip Owen embraced it. And I can only think of uh, Sam Sullivan uh, as the only other mayor that kind of carried the, 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 pillar, the four pillars forward. Um, I don't recall any other mayor doing it. And the police have opposed it all along. You just have to look at the Yard Squad Productions and, and their scared straight approach to um, this issue. The, the police have not been in favor of treating this as a health issue until very recently. And I think it's just a public relations gesture. Ian, thank you for your time today, my friend. It's always good to talk to you, Jeff.